Okay. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Episode 335 had my glasses on. Had to take them off. The music should be playing. You're welcome. Love you guys. Hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, the big story of the day, of course, is the Carson Wentz trade. Uh, we'll dive into it. We'll talk all about it. I, uh, I'm i just glad there's finally something real to talk about. I took a break. Uh, I took like a week off. I uh, really needed it. I think it's good. Uh, I'm not going to apologize. I, I Look, I, I was burned out after the NFL season. I took a break. It made me miss football. That's very healthy. Uh, I love my job, and I want to keep it that way, so I got to take breaks occasionally to, I don't know, you, you get off distance, and I, don't know, I think it makes the heart go fonder. There's some quote about that. Um, we're going to talk about predictions versus reality. Talk about, We're going to do predictions versus reality. Uh, for the AFC North, we'll talk about uh, the only story I really missed during the break. There, like, one story literally happened the entire time I was away. That was the J.J. Watt got released by Houston. We'll talk about that. I, I Look, there's literally nothing going on. I'm glad. I got a whole slate full of sh- a whole show full of stuff. Slate full of stuff. That, that works, too. I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. I'm very excited. Uh, no filler. Good stuff. Uh, but there's not a lot going on. In the football world, I even saw a story where some guy did a kind of a like a fun topic saying, what if this happened with the Carolina Panthers? People took it and ran with it as if it was a rumor. And I'm like, oh, guys, that's not a, that's not real. That's not a story. No one's trading Christian McCaffrey for Deshaun. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, man, I'm so whatever. I, I'm glad to be here today. I love you guys very, very much. I am. I got a really fun announcement today. This episode is brought to you by the movie Greenland. A movie. I'm very excited. It's a blockbuster movie. I saw this and I liked it well before uh, they ever became a sponsor. I actually rented it. It was like 20 bucks uh, at home on DVD. I was, I was like, oh, sweet. I rented it. It was awesome. Uh, it's, it's still cheaper than going to see it in theaters. Um, so the movie stars Gerard Butler. It's also got Miranda Baccarin. She, is the, uh, she was in the TV show Firefly. I love her. Uh, it's also got Scott Glenn. He's actually in The Hunt for Red October. Uh, the movie is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's basically about a family trying to get to safety uh, when a planet-killing asteroid is on its way and about to hit the Earth. Uh, I like Gerard Butler. I like it. It's also it's made by Rick Roman Wah. Uh, he is the director who directed uh, Shot Caller and Angel Has Fallen. He's worked with Gerard Butler before. I really liked it. It's pretty cool to be sponsored by a movie. Uh, you can own Greenland today on digital, Blu-ray, and DVD. It comes with... Deleted scenes, feature commentary with the director, Rick Romanois, uh, and much more. I, I encourage you, go watch the trailer. It's a good time. I like the movie. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. My girlfriend and I watched it. Popcorn movie night. Oh, it's awesome. And uh, they also gave me five copies of the movie to give away. Uh, so I have got five copies of the movie Greenland on DVD. If you want it, you can get it for free. Here's, how you, here's what you do to get it, to enter the, the running, I guess, to pick five people. Uh, you go to the Strong Opinion Sports Instagram account. You find the post about the movie Greenland. You comment on the post by tagging the movie Greenland itself and tagging someone you want to watch it with. People that do that, uh, I'll pick five of those people and send them the DVD. I'm very excited. It's awesome. Uh, now, uh, So again, find the Strong Opinion Sports Greenland post on Instagram. Tag the movie Greenland and tag someone you want to watch it with. I'll pick five people from there. Uh, so again, like, pretty cool. I was like, oh, a movie? Sweet, you can sponsor the show. I thought it was very, very exciting. 
Uh, by the way, I am also excited. I'm launching a movie podcast. Uh, it comes in April. It's called The Film Analysis. You can find the social media for The Film Analysis. Go to The Film Analysis Podcast on Facebook, Instagram. It's out there everywhere. Uh, very excited for that. I've been recording some episodes. Uh, I'm like, I'm just trying to get a big backlog stacked up because it's an evergreen show. So uh, I want to have a bunch of them recorded and ready to go. That way, uh, uh, starting a band in sports is hard because it's a news show and it's got to try to be timely. I don't want to do that with this show. I'm so glad to not be doing that with another podcast. Uh, that sounds like really awful, actually. Uh, one's enough. <laughs> um, let's dive in. The big story of the day, the Eagles have traded quarterback Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts. And oh, my goodness, it made me very, very happy. I was so excited. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, I want to start, though, by mentioning a weird thing first. In the 2016 NFL Draft, the number one overall pick was Jared Goff. The number two overall pick was Carson Wentz. And both have been traded away from the teams they were drafted by 19 days apart. That's just a weird, like, that doesn't happen very often. A guy, a number one overall pick, a number two overall pick gets traded away, especially not the quarterback position, let alone almost you know, just over two weeks away, apart from each other. That's crazy, pretty wild. Uh, now, after the trade, the Eagles have a $33.8 million dead money salary cap charge for the 2021 NFL season. What that means, uh, we'll get into that in a minute, first of all. That's actually, by the way, the most ever to have dead money cap, uh, I guess, charge or penalties by an NFL team. Uh, it, it's so much that I actually thought that might keep the Eagles from trading Carson Wentz. I'm like, ah, that might be so much of a penalty, they're not even going to get rid of the guy. Sounds like they did. Uh, I, I thought it's good for everybody. Carson Wentz wanted out. They, I, I think, were, you know, Jay, we'll talk about Jalen Hurts in a minute, but I thought it was good to get Carson out of there. Uh, it is also kind of weird and interesting. I talked about Jared Goff. Previously, very briefly, the other the, the the record for the most amount of dead money against the salary cap was Jared Goff. The Rams uh, amount is twenty two point two million dollars. That got beat nineteen days later by the Carson Wentz trade. Uh, what is dead money? You may ask. It's basically all the guaranteed money the Eagles still owe Carson Wentz after the trade. So even though Carson is no longer on their team, uh, he still creates a thirty three point eight million dollar cap hit. For next year. Uh, so over $33 million uh, of the salary cap is taken up for Philadelphia. They cannot use that money for other players. It's weird. It's interesting. It's never, that's the, again, the most ever. Pretty interesting. I, I was surprised that, you know, they still traded him away given that. Uh, but in the trade, the Colts got Carson Wentz. So the Colts, they get their quarterback, the, the replacement for Philip Rivers, the replacement for Andrew Luck. Uh, I'm happy for the Colts, man. They've, they found a way to make it work. They lost Andrew Luck. They had to scramble. They made Jacoby Brissett work for a year. They made Philip Rivers work for a year. Now they've got what they believe is their franchise guy, Carson Wentz. Good for them. The Eagles got a 2021 third-round pick for the upcoming NFL draft and a conditional 2022 second-round pick. Now, here's what's really cool. The condition is that if Carson Wentz plays 75% of the Colts' offensive snaps for next year, if he stays healthy, plays the whole year, uh, or, or, you know, is good enough to be the starter all year, doesn't get benched. Then that draft pick goes from a second-round pick in 2022 to a first-round pick. So what I like about that, people are saying the Eagles got a horrible trade. They got fleeced. It's terrible. Oh, my goodness. You got to realize this is probably the best trade they could possibly find. The Eagles traded away Carson Wentz, a guy who has an injury history. He's been injured repeatedly over the years. 
Uh, he's coming off of a horrible season where he was so bad, the dude got benched for Jalen Hurts, a rookie quarterback. So the fact that Philadelphia made a trade where they have an opportunity to get a first-round pick, that's impressive to me. I think people don't realize that's the best they were going to get. So anybody criticizing Philadelphia, you just don't realize how— I think how little value Carson Wentz really had on the market. People are like, ah, nobody really wants him. I think J.J. Watt's getting a ton of attention. Carson Wentz, mm, people are very wary. And uh, I think it's really what's really disappointing to me is that the Bears didn't get him. What did the Bears, did the Bears not want him? I don't understand. Maybe they're trying to get Deshaun Watson. I feel like the Bears really lost here. They still got Mitchell Trubisky, who I, Carson Wentz has problems. I think he's way better than Mitchell Trubisky, so... Debate that all you want. I don't know how you go. Like, oh, the Bears, they got a great quarterback still, Trubisky. Um, I, I like it. I think another thing people got to realize is that uh, I love the trade for Carson Wentz. He's going to a way better team. Uh, he gets to play for his former offensive coordinator, Frank Reich. In 2017, the best year Carson Wentz ever had in the NFL. He was a, before he got hurt, he was an MVP candidate playing under Frank Reich. He's reuniting with that guy. That's going to be awesome. He's got a great relationship with him. Uh, the Colts have a great offensive line. They've got a great running game. They've got a great defense. Carson Wentz is being put into a great situation. If he does not do well, then there's no excuse you can make. He's got a great, great team around him. Good support. Good people. He's getting helped. Uh, now, remember, here's what Carson Wentz struggled with last year. The team fell apart around Carson. The Eagles had a bunch of injuries and... Uh, it was a messy year for them. I felt I felt kind of bad for Carson. However, when the team fell apart around him, so did Carson Wentz. His decision-making just took a step backward. It completely devolved. He started forcing throws. He started holding onto the ball way too long. There's a play against the Dallas Cowboys that's forever ingrained into my mind where I'm, I'm staring at TV going, Carson, throw it away! Throw it away! Please, for the love of God, throw the ball away! And he fumbled, and the Cowboys got the ball, and I'm just like, oh my, that's... It's terrible quarterback play. And Jalen Hurts came in and did much better than Carson Wentz. It wasn't that hard. He, Jalen Hurts took care of the ball, made good decisions, was decently accurate. Carson really struggled with accuracy last year. Um, and it looked like Carson completely lost confidence of everything and everybody around him. He lost confidence in his offensive line. He lost confidence in his receivers in Philadelphia. And it appeared like Carson lost confidence in the play calling in Philadelphia as well. So Carson needed a fresh start. Remember, he also, uh, he heard a couple years ago in the playoffs, and his backup quarterback, Nick Foles, came in and led his team to a Super Bowl. Imagine you're the starting quarterback, you get hurt, another person leads your team, that you were an MVP candidate to the Super Bowl. I would, I would liken it, it's a crude thing to compare it to, but I would liken it to someone having kids with your wife while you're still married to your wife. Like, ah, like kids are great, this isn't my kid. It'd be, it'd be hard and weird. And you're like, I still want to be with my wife, but it's, it's complicated and messy. And I, I can't imagine the, again, it's a weird and I, not the best comparison. I wish I could come up with something that wasn't as messy, but just imagine the emotional turmoil. I think I would have put on Carson Wentz. Like, oh, your city likes this other guy. They literally put up a statue of Nick Foles. Ooh. And you're still the starter. Ah, how do you feel wanted there? Then last year in 2020, and by the way, that happened multiple times where Nick Foles was the starting quarterback for the Eagles in the playoffs because of a Carson Wentz injury. Uh, now, last year, Carson got benched. He played really badly, and the backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts, came in, did great. Again, good decisions, 
ran the ball well, was more accurate than Carson Wentz. And it's too messy to, to have not once but twice have the backup quarterback in come in, uh, do better than Carson or be more successful in some way than Carson. He had to get out of Philadelphia. It was too messy of a situation. You could not rectify it. Carson wanted out. Um, and it appears, again, like Carson lost all confidence in his teammates and in the Eagles organization. Um, again, just having your backup quarterback do so well in your spot, there, there's no way that can be good for your, your confidence. So I'm really excited to watch Carson Wentz play for the Colts. I think if there's any place, Carson I made very obvious, glaring, frustrating mistakes last year in Philadelphia. But if there is anywhere in the NFL Carson Wentz can go and do well, it is Indianapolis. Got a great support structure around him. A coach that likes him. A coach that I think he's personal friends with. A great roster. A great situation. A team and a fan base, frankly, that wants him to be their guy. Philadelphia, there was a whole debate. Should we keep Nick Foles or Carson Wentz? And that seems crazy now uh, after watching you know, Nick Foles flounder with the Jaguars and then with the Chicago Bears. But people really wanted. They were furious at the Eagles for keeping Carson Wentz over Nick Foles. I can't imagine what that did. Now, the Colts, their fan base, they're happy to have Carson Wentz. They want Carson Wentz. Not everybody. People are haters. That's fine. But if you're a Colts fan and you're not welcoming, you know, having a welcoming embrace of Carson Wentz, you're an idiot because this is the best opportunity you're going to have in a while to get a franchise quarterback. It's great for them. Uh, the Eagles are footing the bill. So take it. Run with it. Be very happy. You got your guy. And I would be personally surprised if Carson Wentz did not do well. Indian, Indian, uh, with Indianapolis based on you got a great coach, a coach who knows him, and a good support system around him. Now, by the way, Jalen Hurts is now the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback. Uh, I love it. I think Jalen Hurts is much better than people realize. He works his tail off. He's a great leader. He's much cheaper than Carson Wentz. He can run around, extend plays. He doesn't get hurt. That's a big deal to Philadelphia. He's way more accurate and a better thrower with the football than people realize. Like, do not talk about Jalen Hurts, the quarterback at Alabama. Since then, from, from Alabama to Oklahoma to now, after one year at Philadelphia, he's evolved year after year after year, gotten better as a passer. He works hard. I love it. Uh, I am not sold on the new Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni. Uh, came across as a bit of a doofus at his press conference, and I went, ah, I'm not really. It's, it's one press conference. It's not really fair to judge a guy on one thing, but it was definitely not a great way to start your career. As the Eagles head coach, we'll see how he does. So I'm still on the fence about that guy. But they definitely chose the right quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I'm very excited. I'm happy. I love Jalen Hurts. I would very much and very happily take Jalen Hurts as my franchise quarterback. And a bit of a controversial statement, but I think it's true. Definitely. It's at least arguable. You could make a case that Jalen Hurts is the best starting quarterback in the entire NFC East. I would Jalen Hurts, Stack Prescott, well, at least... Jalen Hurts at the Jalen Hurts current price. I would take Jalen Hurts over Dak Prescott. He's better than Daniel Jones. He's better than Alex Smith or whoever becomes the Washington starting quarterback. So Jalen Hurts right now looks like the best quarterback in that division. I'm happy for them. They got a cheap quarterback who I think is their guy for a long time. A great leader to build around and a team, a person that the roster in Philadelphia rallied around Jalen Hurts. They like him. He's their guy. He won over that locker room. And I'm very, very excited for the future of Jalen Hurts. Whether or not that coach works out, I don't know. But if the coach fails, it will not be because Jalen Hurts is not the right guy to be your starting quarterback in Philadelphia. Okay, let's shift gears. Uh, let me drink some water real quick first. 
Now, I'm late to this news. I think it's totally fine. Uh, but a while back, the Texans did release J.J. Watt, uh, their defensive tackle. I was so happy for the guy. The dude is getting out of Houston. Thank goodness. Good for J.J. Watt. Um, remember, he's a three-time former NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he tweeted recently, free agency is wild. I would imagine every team in the NFL has made an offer or tried to contact the guy. Uh, I'm very excited to see where J.J. Watt is going to go. Um, you know, even if he's not the same player he was five years ago in 2015, or I guess six years ago now, time has flown by. J.J. Watt is still a stud. He's a great player, uh, at the minimum a good player, but he's also a great leader in your locker room. He's viewed as a helpful veteran who can be a positive leader and a positive presence for young guys in your locker room. That's very attractive for teams like the Arizona Cardinals or the Buffalo Bills. They're like, yes, we will take that leadership happily, plus he's a good player. Um, a lot of teams want J.J. Watt. Now, my number one assumption is, uh, and I guess I would love to see J.J. Watt with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, because his brother T.J. Watt is there. His brother Derek Watt is there. Both of his brothers are there. The Steelers went to the playoffs last year. They are, they got, I think, a mediocre quarterback, Big Ben. That would be the thing that would make me pause if I was J.J. Watt. I'd want to go to a team with a better quarterback, in my opinion. Hall of Fame had a great career. The great career appears to be over for Big Ben. He's declining. Um, but again, the brothers make it a likely fit that Pittsburgh is the place where J.J. Watt will go. Um, so J.J. Watt wanted out of Houston because they're a terrible, horribly run organization. So I would imagine that J.J. Watt wants to go somewhere and try to win a Super Bowl and be a part of a team where he can contribute and help them win games. So I would imagine he likes Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Buffalo's in the mix. Uh, the Rams in L.A., maybe the 49ers. I've even heard that the Cleveland Browns are being talked about, which uh, I think the Browns, based on their history, would scare me a little bit. I'd be like, ah, Cleveland, they got a good year, but they're, are they a one-hit wonder? I'd be afraid of that. Uh, if I'm an aging veteran player, I wouldn't stake my final years of my career on Cleveland. Not that I don't believe in Cleveland, but because I, I think you know, Kansas City's a much more sure bet. Buffalo's a much more sure bet based on their history and what they're becoming. Um... But again, the Browns are a good team now. Now, the dark horse, in my opinion, to land J.J. Watt is Arizona. Uh, his former teammate in Houston, DeAndre Hopkins, is there. The Cardinals want to be contenders. They feel like they got a great quarterback. They got a great receiving core, good offense, uh, good, good offense weapons, I guess. Uh, they're building their defense. I would imagine they've made an offer to J.J. Watt. They would love to have him. They want his leadership. They want his veteran presence. And... Uh, if I were J.J. Watt, I would prefer to go somewhere that I'm more guaranteed to win than Arizona. There's still question marks about Cliff Kingsbury, the coach in Arizona. Like, the, the Steelers have question marks with the quarterback, Big Ben. The Cardinals have question marks with the coach, Cliff Kingsbury. If I'm J.J. Watt, I am not screwing around with my final years of my career. I'm going somewhere. I know I have a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl. Maybe L.A. with Sean McVay or Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid or Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. But Arizona does want to be in the mix to have a great quarterback, Kyler Murray. Keep your eye on what J.J. Watt does. Arizona, Buffalo, Tampa, Kansas City. Uh, I don't think the Colts, again, if you're a team with a wild card that is unsure, because uh, the Colts are, we're not really sure how good Carson Wentz is going to be. We're not really sure how good of a coach Cliff Kingsbury is going to be. If you're a team that has a reason to make you pause and hesitate, I would imagine you're not the team that J.J. Watt is going to pick. 
but he could surprise us all. Keep your eye on where J.J. Watt goes uh, when free agency continues and kind of ramps up, and I'm really excited to see where J.J. Watt indeed ends up signing. Now, I want to shift gears. Uh, I'm so excited for this next topic. I saw something. Oh, man, I saw something that made me very, very happy. I watched something over the weekend. It was the fan-controlled football league. Now, their gimmick, uh, the fan-controlled football league, is that they allow fans to play, uh, to call plays, basically, during their games, the, the game stream on Twitch. I don't care about calling the plays. I have no interest. I don't want to. You would think I would. I'm a football guy, but I, I'm like, ah, that sounds hacky and weird, and I'll let the experts do that. Uh, now, they're not allowing that, but whatever. I will say that they market the, fan, the fan-controlled football league as if it's basically a video game with real people playing, and it really does feel exactly like that. It feels like Madden with real humans. It was wild. It was fun. It was, it was like watching Madden in real life, scoring, tons of big plays, fun. It was like, or like maybe NFL Street back in the day, that video game on the, like the PlayStation 2 era video game where you had NFL Street, wacky stuff happening. Um, they used this awesome low-angle end zone camera. It really does mimic a video game feel. It was very, very cool. I loved it. If you get a chance, go look up the fan-controlled football league. There's a highlight video on YouTube. It's phenomenal. Uh, I watched a game with Johnny Manziel and Quentin Flowers playing quarterback. My goodness. It was a blast. It was fun. They ran around. They made a ton of plays. Uh, it was kind of funny, too. Like, my starting quarterback got hurt recently in Madden. Uh, I've been playing Madden 17 because I hate myself. Um <laughs> The Madden games are terrible, but I like I don't want to. My, my PS3 is old. I'm tired of using it. I got my Xbox. I, I booted up Madden 17. I bought it a long time ago. I've been playing franchise mode. Uh, my starting quarterback got hurt. My backup quarterback is Johnny Manziel. So I've been playing as Johnny Manziel on Madden. So it was kind of weird to watch. Oh, Johnny Manziel in real life running around, making plays, basically playing exactly the way I played Madden. It was very oddly similar. I was like, oh, okay. I, but I loved it. It was fun. I'm like, oh, it made me, made me feel even more connected to Johnny Menzel. It was very, very cool. Uh, and there are so many broken plays, and there's this very disorganized play style. It really does uh, lend itself well to the benefits. And it really benefits Johnny Menzel because of his ability to play outside of structure. Johnny Menzel is at his best playing backyard football, running around, extending plays, kind of like flag football where you can tackle him. That's what he's doing. Uh, and I'll be honest, watching the fan-controlled football league, I, I feel embarrassed saying this. I think it's the most I've enjoyed watching football in weeks. Uh, the Super Bowl is a blowout. Uh, the, the, the Pills-Ravens game was really bad. Uh, this was a game that was close, intense, really, really fun. Uh, it, it just not even, not even like intense, just like very lighthearted and lots of scoring and Fun to watch. It was kind of like a guilty pleasure, like watching a blockbuster action movie. You get your popcorn, your candy, have a great time. There was great quarterback play, big plays, great throws. Even the backup quarterbacks played well. I don't know if there's a rule in the, what's it, fan-controlled football league. So FCFL. In the FCFL, I don't know if there's a rule where backup quarterbacks have to play. Uh, but backups for both teams that I watched ended up playing in the game. They also made great plays. I'm like, oh, wow. They got four quarterbacks in this game making plays, making great throws. It was pretty cool to see. Uh, I even had a great time watching the ending where the final play of the game I watched had 
the offense broke a tackle, made a great play, made a huge play downfield. And I'm like, oh, they're going to score. They're going to win this game. Like, this is going to be the game-winning score. Oh, my goodness. And then the defense came out of nowhere. They responded equally well. They got a stop. They tackled the guy before the end zone. Very, very exciting. I loved it. And um, I also like that the point after touchdown, if you score a touchdown, there's no you know extra point where you kick through the uprights. You have a one-on-one on the goal line where – my guy is going to guard your guy. If we catch it, we get the point. If you stop us, uh, we don't get the point. It's, just, it's a one-on-one on the goal line. It's exciting. It's fun. Uh, that's fan-controlled football in a nutshell is that it's exciting to watch. And I highly recommend it. If you're a person who's bored this weekend, go watch a fan-controlled football league game. It's actually quite fun. I was surprised. Uh, I didn't. I had no expectation. I was like, ah, this is going to stupid gimmick football. Like, oh, my gosh. And no, uh, it was awesome. Now, the broadcasters are very, very annoying. To me, uh, what I saw, it was three people all talking and yelling over each other. I just muted it, listened to a podcast, had a great time. Um, but you know, some people did like their hype. I guess they were like yelling a lot. And I, I'm not a yeller, I, despite the fact that I do a podcast for a living. I actually don't, I don't like yelling. I don't like loud noises. I was annoyed that these two guys were talking over the play-by-play guy. Uh, and they were kind of just yelling, like, oh, go, go, get him, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is not commentary. This is just two men yelling about foot. It was weird and uncomfortable for me. Um, but again, fan-controlled football. I-, I thought it's actually one weekend. Wow, okay, I'll watch it. It was fun, a good time. Uh, I can actually recommend it. The fan-controlled football league. If you're bored this weekend, you're missing football, it's a good time. And the, the low angle, the camera, that low angle Video game mask camera angle is so cool. And uh, anytime you get to watch Johnny Manziel be Johnny Manziel, I think that's kind of a win. Like, I, I root for the guy. He's uh, had a mess of a life off the field. Uh, but watching the guy do something positive makes me happy. So uh, I recommend the fan-controlled football league. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do predictions versus reality for the AFC North. We will start with the Cleveland Browns. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. It uh, feels so good to be back. I love my job. I love the show. Hope you're doing very, very well. It's time for predictions versus reality. I want to revisit my predictions from the 2020 NFL season. What I get right? What was I wrong about? Uh, why was I wrong? What surprised me? Uh, I do this because it allows me and allows us, you know, you, the listener, to revisit the 2020 NFL season, talk about how every team did, what happened, what were the highlights, what were the lowlights. Um, and then after we go through every single NFL team, we'll do, um, you know, this episode is the AFC North. Next episode is the NFC East. That's the Cowboys, Giants, Washington, Philadelphia. Once we go through every NFL team, I'm going to do my SOS awards for the NFL season of 2020, give out player of the year, most important player, rookie of the year, offense, defense, stuff like that. Uh, I'm so excited. This episode, again, we'll start with the AFC North uh, division for this episode. We'll start in Cleveland. I predicted the Cleveland Browns to go 9-7 and seven in 2020. Uh, going into the year, I felt good about the Browns. They had... Uh, a new head coach, Kevin Stefanski. I was like, I like the coach, but we'll see. It might take them time to figure out how to play under him and what they're doing. Plus, remember, uh, it was a wild offseason with COVID. So I had very, very mild hopes for Cleveland going into the year. 
Uh, I just wanted a step in the right direction. I'm like, okay, let's see if they can do well. Uh, I like Kevin Stefanski. We'll see how he does. Now, oh boy, did they do well. I, I really loved it. Uh, it was kind of a magical year for Cleveland. They went 11-5. and five. They won a playoff game, first playoff win in forever. I was like, oh, man, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, first playoff win since, uh, first, sorry, first playoff game since 2002. First playoff win since 1994. Very exciting for Cleveland. It's their best year since they went 11-5 and five in that 1994 season. Uh, I was so happy. I'm not a Browns fan, but the Browns have been awful my entire life. Uh, and watching them fail year after year after year, it just gave me some compassion. It made me feel bad for Browns fans. Uh, I, they got my sympathy. So they had their winning year. After now, like now, I hope they keep doing well. I'd like that, but I, I kind of the the feel good story is over. Now I'm really excited to see how Cleveland does moving forward. Can they become a legitimately good team, or are they the little engine that could that we root for once and has a good year and then wilts away and goes back into the ether? Um, but I'm just so happy Cleveland finally had a great year. Now, going into the year, there was a ton of pressure on the Browns' starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Former number one overall pick, going into his third year. And finally, Baker had a good situation around him. Had a great roster, ton of offensive weapons around him. Two-star receivers, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., two good running backs, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Three tight ends. Nobody needs three. They had Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, and David Njoku. David Njoku, by the way, really became a, a guy who lost his job, was disappointed, became a great blocking tight end. That was kind of the, the story arc for David Njoku. Got benched, lost his job, became a great blocker, got on the field that way. Uh, I think they're going to trade him this year. We'll see if he comes back. But I really liked the work that David Njoku put in, despite being frustrated about his spot on the roster, on the depth chart. Uh, not to mention... The Browns had all those weapons. They also revamped their offensive line. They had two brand new tackles. They had Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin, right tackle, left tackle. Uh, very, very cool. I just, I, I really was like, man, Baker's being put into a great, phenomenal position. So the Browns had a lot of talent last year, I guess two years ago in 2019 as well. The difference for Cleveland in 2020 was they brought in this new head coach, Kevin Stefanski. So in total, Baker had... Great roster around him, a new general manager, Andrew Barry, who's awesome, and a new head coach, Kevin Stefanski, very good at his job. So in 2020, this past year, there were no more excuses to be had for Baker Mayfield. He had to deliver. He had to have a great year, and he did. I went, oh, I loved it. I, people hate on Baker Mayfield. I get why people don't like him. He can come across as cocky and arrogant. I think, honestly, I think Baker is just confident. I don't think he ever, for me, he never crosses that line into cocky, in my opinion. Uh, to be a guy who's had his story arc, a two-time walk-on in college, a guy who was undersized, who became the number one overall pick, you have to have some kind of confidence and belief in yourself. He does have that. I think to be Baker, you have to have the attitude he has. So you can hate him for it. I don't, I don't hate him. I like Baker. Um, and I thought it took Baker a couple games to really get comfortable in the new offense, in Kevin Stefanski's new system. In fact, he had a really rough three-game stretch, uh, weeks five, six, and seven against the Colts, Steelers, and Bengals. In those three games, he had five interceptions. Again, five interceptions in a three-game stretch, that's not good. Uh, I remember at the time saying that Baker needed to clean things up uh, and start playing better, and he did. I was very excited. I'm like, okay. I was critical. People thought I hated on Baker Mayfield. No, no, no. 
I just call it like I see it. If Baker needs to play better, I'll be honest about it. He needed to play better. He did play better. He got better. They went to the playoffs. They won a playoff game. Uh, I was I was just I loved it, man. I was very excited for Cleveland this year. Now from that point on, from uh, week seven, he had an interception early against the Bengals. From that point on, after the Bengals game week seven, Baker had only two interceptions the final eleven games of the entire season. Um, Baker had a really particularly great stretch of games where Cleveland played three games at home in really bad weather. Baker took care of the ball, played efficient, clean football. People were criticizing him for not having enough passing yards or not having enough, you know, completions or attempts. It's like you don't realize the the weather, you kick a ball. I watched the Raiders try to kick a field goal in Cleveland this year. The ball started on the right side of the uprights, and the wind took it all the way across the uprights from the right to the left. I'm like, you can't. How do you throw the ball in that condition? So people don't understand. Baker learned how to play really good. Learned, but I think relearned and reconnected with the ability he had at Oklahoma to play really good, clean, efficient football. And you got to acknowledge this. Without Baker Mayfield playing well, Cleveland would not have won a playoff game this year. It just would not have happened. So uh, he's the best Browns quarterback they've had in years and years. And I walked away from this year very, very excited for the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield's awesome. The team is building. Uh, And I think we're going to see moving forward is – Cleveland, a legit team that is now here to stay and maybe potentially could take over the AFC North? Or are they a team that had one great year and are they going to fizzle out next year? I think it's more likely they become a dominant force in the AFC North, but time will tell as things go on. But again, quarterback, coach, GM, great roster. I don't know how you look at Cleveland and don't feel very, very positive about the year they have. Uh, you know, looking back on the 2020 season, I thought that winning the playoff game was a huge deal. It, I could very easily pick that as my highlight of the year for the Cleveland Browns. But actually, my favorite Browns game of the year was, in fact, that Week 7 game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Browns-Bengals, the battle for Ohio, Baker Mayfield against Joe Burrow. They went throw for throw. It was a crazy game. So much fun. Uh, Baker threw for five touchdown passes. Joe Burrow had three touchdown passes. He also ran for a touchdown. It was just a wild, fun, exciting game. I hope it's a a sign that the future of the Browns-Bengals rivalry is going to be really exciting and fun for years to come. And, uh, I mean, it was back and forth. There were big-time throws. The game literally came down to the final seconds. Baker had a touchdown with 11 seconds left to win the game. And by the way, there were three touchdowns in the final five minutes of that game. The Browns scored with uh, 4.57 left. That he took the lead. Then Joe Burrow scored and responded. Joe Burrow took the lead back with just over a minute left. And then Baker, of course, again, had that game-winning touchdown with 11 seconds left. It was just a a magical moment if you're a Cleveland fan. I'm not a Cleveland fan, but I loved that game. And it's my personal—I know they beat the Steelers in the playoffs. I know they had all these fun moments, but my personal favorite moment all year— for Cleveland was, in fact, winning that game week seven. Just a fun, exciting, back-and-forth, close, tense game, and uh, I loved every second of that game. Now, um, I think the honorable mention, again, that playoff game was great, but, again, the, the best moment of the year was week seven. Now, the final thing we need to talk about for Cleveland after this year is Odell Beckham Jr. He's the Browns' star receiver, uh, you know, right as OBJ got hurt. It was like a switch flipped, and Baker Mayfield started playing well. Uh, Baker started playing great, actually. 
Now, a ton of people have seen that correlation and, you know, it kind of led from correlation to causation saying that uh, now people believe Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback without Odell Beckham Jr. As if to say Odell Beckham Jr. makes Baker a worse quarterback. And in fact, it's kind of really telling and, and disappointing if you want to make that argument. People say, well, literally the last throw Baker threw to OBJ all year was an interception. OBJ got hurt on that on that interception. Uh, so I went back, I watched the film. Uh, OBJ played in seven games in 2020. He was targeted 43 times. It was actually a couple more that were not counted as official targets because of penalties. Um, I watched every single target, every single ball that was thrown Odell Beckham Jr.'s way in 2020. And one of the main things I was looking for on film is whether or not Baker Mayfield was forcing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. You know, I wanted to know, are there times where OBJ isn't necessarily open, but Baker's still throwing him the ball, uh, trying to make a play? You know, that could either be happening because Baker's trying to keep OBJ happy. OBJ is known to be a moody guy. Maybe Baker's forcing the ball to keep the guy satisfied in the huddle. Or maybe because OBJ has a legendary reputation and you're like, well, he's going to make a play no one else can make and you're forcing throws to OBJ. That was my question. And... To my surprise, Baker really did not force a lot of throws to Odell Beckham Jr. last year. I went, oh, I, I, didn't, I, I expected to find that, and I didn't find that. Out of 43 official targets to Odell Beckham Jr., only three I would categorize as kind of a force where, um, yeah, and that's over the course of seven games, where Baker threw to OBJ where he was trying to make a play, even though OBJ wasn't really open, just depending on big, on, on Odell Beckham Jr. to make a crazy catch or knock the ball down. So I would say I do not believe OBJ has had a negative influence on Baker's decision-making. I know that's crazy. You know, people are really hampering on OBJ. You know, Baker's better without OBJ. But the film didn't show that. Now, the film did show that OBJ and Baker were out of sync last year. Uh, their timing was off. Baker would either throw behind Odell Beckham Jr. or just completely miss him. There's a miss on the left sideline. Should have been a touchdown. Baker missed him. And I, I can't excuse that. I think they need more reps together. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why Baker and OBJ appeared to be just off. Uh, and you have to acknowledge, Baker had a great game week seven. Right after Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt. It's my favorite performance by Baker all year. He had five touchdowns against the Bengals week seven. They all came after OBJ got injured. But I don't really know that they're actually directly related. I, personally, I believe Baker was going to do well whether Odell Beckham Jr. got injured or not. Baker did well because seven games into the year, he finally got comfortable in the new offense that Kevin Stefanski ran. New coach, new system. It makes sense it would take him a couple games to settle in and find a rhythm and uh, you know, get comfortable. I, I can't tell you why he was out of sync with Odell Beckham Jr. But OBJ is not going anywhere. They're not going to trade him away. They'd be crazy to do that. And again, what I saw in the film did not tell me that OBJ is negatively influencing his quarterback's decision-making. But again, they do need to get more reps together. They got to get on the same page. That cannot happen next year where there's a lot of throws behind him or they're not on the same page. Uh, but after watching film, not only is Odell Beckham Jr. very, very talented. I mean, he's got he's got a touchdown, like a 50-yard touchdown to seal the deal against Dallas on a reverse where you're like, how many other people can do that in the NFL? Like, oh my gosh, that's just a great play. 
a couple catches where you're like, wow, that's OBJ at his finest. He had a couple drops. Uh, but again, Oda Beckham Jr. does not make Baker Mayfield a worse quarterback. I cannot tell you that enough. You got to remember that. So I'm excited for next year. I'm excited to watch Baker play with OBJ. Hopefully they get better and have a better connection. Uh, I'm excited to see the Browns continue to make progress as an organization. I like Cleveland. Uh, I have a heart for that city. I have a heart for the people there. I have a heart for, uh, I think Baker Mayfield's a person that gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I would like to see Cleveland continue to have success and do very well moving forward. And certainly, I don't know how you look at this year and don't feel very, very good about the Cleveland Browns moving forward. Now, as we go to Cincinnati, I predicted the Cincinnati Bengals to go 4-12 in 2020. Uh, I knew the team had problems, but I thought, well, uh, it's going to be a fun year. They're not perfect, but at the minimum, the Bengals in 2020 are going to be a good time. Every time you turn on your TV, you watch Joe Burrow play, you watch him throw to T. Higgins, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and I thought they'd put up points, and I was fairly right. Uh, Joe Burrow was a blast to watch, and I predicted the Bengals to go 4-12. They actually went 4-11-1. I guess I missed the tie in my prediction. Now, I could not have predicted Joe Burrow uh, getting hurt. He had a really bad injury, uh, and I wonder how many games the Bengals might have won if Joe Burrow had not gotten hurt. I don't, I don't know what on the answer to that. It'd be cool to see that. Uh, week 11 against Washington, Joe tore his ACL. He tore his MCL. He also partially tore his meniscus and his PCL. Basically, Joe Burrow completely shredded his knee. Now, he is expected to make a full recovery, but it still really was awful. I, I felt bad for Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. And I really hope the Bengals will invest in their offensive line, get the guy protection. Uh, Joe got hit a ton last year in his rookie year in 2020. But he's a star quarterback that needs to be protected by his organization and by his offensive line. Uh, now, I want to give T. Higgins a shout-out. He's a rookie receiver out of Clemson. He was a second-round pick. He led the Bengals in receiving as a rookie last year. I liked the pick when it happened. It turned out to be a huge bargain, a great job. He made a ton of great plays. He had great chemistry with Joe Burrow. Shout-out to T. Higgins. Uh, Von Bell and Jesse Bates led Cincinnati in tackles. They are both uh, safeties. It's also noteworthy that the Bengals traded away defensive end Carlos Dunlap uh, before the trade deadline. I was hoping he'd be part of the rebuild. I was like, oh, great. They got the defensive end figured out. Turns out they had to get rid of the guy. I was disappointed. Um, but they got an offensive lineman, P.J. Finney, and a seventh-round pick. So it could be worse in Cincinnati. Now, um, Joe Burrow's season-ending injury, for me, was kind of like a dark cloud over their year. I loved watching Joe play. I was heartbroken when that guy got hurt. However, oddly enough, my favorite Cincinnati Bengals moment from 2020 came well after Joe Burrow had gotten hurt. Week 15, the Bengals upset the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football. It was glorious. It was awesome. It was a great win. And even crazier, they did it with a third-string quarterback. They had Ryan Finley as their starting quarterback in that game. On uh, What? Okay, and then the fact that they won. I watched that game. I remember watching live going like, I cannot believe what I am watching. It was a very odd game. Uh, the Steelers had three turnovers. That led to 17 points for Cincinnati. They had two fumbles and an interception. Ryan Finley had a very super quiet night. He only had 89 yards passing, but he did run for a touchdown. And after the Steelers got stopped on a fourth down, 
The Bengals got another field goal. They ended up winning 27-17. It was awesome. I really thoroughly enjoyed that game. Uh, and I, I just was like, that was kind of the, even though Joe Burrow's gone, we still have one good thing at the end of our year. Ha! We beat our division rival. We embarrassed them on Monday Night Football. It's very, very cool. I was happy for Cincinnati fans during that game. Uh, now, I don't know if Joe Burrow is enough to completely turn around the Cincinnati Bengals. They haven't won a playoff game since 1991. That's horrifying. That's a l- way too long of a time. So I think people are talking about, can Cincinnati do this and that? They need to have a good year before we talk about playoffs and really turning things around. Um, I don't know. Again, he's a great quarterback. He makes Cincinnati fun to watch. I don't know that Joe Burrow is good enough to completely turn them around. But I, what I will say, I guess, in, in fairness, is that if any human being can get the Cincinnati Bengals to a playoff game and maybe win a playoff game, it is Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has uh, the leadership qualities, I believe, that are required to turn around a franchise like Cincinnati. Uh, and I, I look, I, I give the guy a chance. He likes being there, it appears. They love him. And I, I'm really happy that Joe Burrow, I wish he hadn't gotten hurt. I hope he gets protection in the future. But uh, I loved watching the guy. It was such a blast to watch Joe Burrow play football in 2020. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do predictions versus reality for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, as well as ending with Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Let's now talk about one of the three biggest franchises in the entire NFL. People don't realize uh, the, I guess, the biggest fan bases, the three biggest fan bases in the NFL are, and, and no particular order, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Green Bay Packers. I think that's what happens when you're really good for a long time, but not too good. Like this, the Patriots got too good, where they became the most hated organization in football. Uh, but if you're really good and not quite dominant for a long time, like the Steelers, who now they were dominant a long time ago, or the Cowboys were dominant a long time ago, or uh, the Packers, who were dominant a long time ago. And maybe that's what's going to happen, is the Patriots become beloved like 20 years from now. Like, oh, remember the glory days of the Patriots? They still have a giant fan base. Maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, But let's talk about Pittsburgh. I predicted that the Pittsburgh Steelers would go 11-5 in 2020. I got pretty close. They went 12-4. and And my biggest reason for believing in Pittsburgh is that uh, they nearly made the playoffs two years ago in 2019 with a bunch of backup quarterbacks, Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Big Ben got hurt, was out for the year. And with backup quarterbacks, they almost made the playoffs. So going into 2020, I was like, man, they're getting a future Hall of Fame quarterback, Big Ben, back from injury. They got a great defense. They've got a ton of offensive weapons. James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, Eric Ebron, James Conner, Benny Snell, Raver McLeod. We saw... Uh, Chase Claypool breakout. We saw Deontay Johnson breakout. I'm like, man, this is a really good roster with a Hall of Fame quarterback and maybe the best defense in the NFL. How do you not look at Pittsburgh and go, they're definitely a playoff team, maybe even a Super Bowl team? And uh, the Steelers peaked early. They played great football in September and October. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, they had a bunch of drops later in the year. I don't know if that's because of cold weather. I don't know what happened, but they started 11 and 0. And at 11-0, I looked at Pittsburgh and went, guys, this is a Super Bowl team. How can you not buy into the Steelers? And some people hated on them and didn't buy into them. But I I don't know how you don't look at Pittsburgh. They played great football the first 11 weeks of the year. 
And in the second half of the year, injuries piled up. There were two key injuries. Uh, linebackers Devin Bush and Bud Dupree that really hurt their defense. They went from, I think, the best defense arguably in the NFL to a pretty good defense, but definitely not the same they once were. They were not as dominant as they were early on in the year. Um, and then as the year went on, again, I talked about it earlier, drops became a really big problem for this team. The Steelers receivers really, really struggled to hold on to the football. And there's not a ton to say here other than that Pittsburgh just fell apart. It was very disappointing. I mean, Big Ben regressed. He went from a guy. Big Ben's arm did not look the same all year. He had to get the ball out very quickly. It was a uh, short, quick, intermediate passing game, trying to get the ball out of his hands very quickly, which it worked for Big Ben. He was very efficient. But uh, when he needed to really make big plays downfield, it looked like he was unable to. Um, and you know, the, the Steelers went on to lose five of their last six games. It was not a good end of the season for Pittsburgh. And it really all led to a very, very embarrassing playoff game where the Steelers lost to the Browns 48-37. to Big Ben had four interceptions. The Steelers had a total of five turnovers. The Browns, in fact, led 28 to nothing at one point. It was so disheartening for a team that started so well to fall so far at the end of the year. Now they lost to Buffalo and Washington, two playoff teams. They also lost to Cleveland, but that was uh, in a game where they didn't play their starters. Um, And after the 2020 season, kind of the main question around Pittsburgh is, what do they do at the quarterback position? I got a ton of questions about this on Patreon. I'm not going to read them all, but I want to shout out to Logan, Verkos, Aiden, Holden, uh, a couple other people. A lot of people wrote in with questions about what does Pittsburgh need to do at quarterback moving forward? Is Big Ben the guy? Uh, Should Big Ben be their quarterback next year? What about Dwayne Haskins? Should they draft another quarterback? What should the Steelers do at quarterback next year? So I want to tell you, I would draft a quarterback in the first round, uh, but it's tough because you can't force it. If there's a guy that you're not quite sure about, you can't just you can't just Christian Ponder. Remember, Christian Ponder was the Vikings needed a quarterback very badly. They wanted Christian Ponder to be the guy. He really quite wasn't the guy, but they forced it. They drafted him. They overdrafted him, and he did not turn out to be their franchise quarterback. So you can't overdraft somebody just because you want to justify drafting a quarterback in the first round. Um, And really the biggest problem is if Big Ben should not be the Steelers quarterback next year, then who should be? Who should be the guy next year in Pittsburgh? Because unfortunately, there isn't a better option. You probably can't trade for Deshaun Watson. Uh, I do not trust Dwayne Haskins. He's been in the league two years. He did very badly in Washington. When he played, he was awful. He had problems off the field. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to give Dwayne Haskins a tryout next year. He'll get all of 2021, probably likely, if he you know minds his P's and Q's to try out. And they'll see if he can be the guy long term. And the Steelers could draft a quarterback in the first round, but they have the 24th overall pick. That's not exactly the best pick in the draft for drafting a quarterback. I would imagine that all the good quarterbacks are going to be gone by then. Uh, you know, I don't think Mac Jones is going to fall that far. And I don't like Kyle Trask, the former Florida quarterback. I don't like him a lot anyway, but definitely not in Pittsburgh where he's got a okay to average arm and he's got to push the ball vertically in cold weather. I don't think Kyle Trask is right necessarily in Pittsburgh. Maybe they draft Kellen Mond out of uh, Texas A&M in the second round. Um Basically, Big Ben has to be the quarterback next year in 2021 because there isn't another option. Like, if you can come up with a better plan of what to do at quarterback, 
for Pittsburgh. I'm all ears, but I just don't think there's anything else left. I mean, Carson Wentz got traded away. Uh, they're not going to maybe they, maybe they make a move for Marcus Mariota, question mark. I don't know. Uh, is that really better than Big Ben? I don't even know that. So um, I, I just people are like, well, the Steelers need a new quarterback. Yeah. But what's your plan? Because they're not getting Matthew Stafford. He got traded. They're not getting every quarterback's been moved now. And I don't know. They're, they're going to have to move up in the draft, I guess, to get somebody if they really want a long-term first-round quarterback to replace Big Ben. Now, one final thing. I was very, very disappointed with the, uh, for lack of a better term, the story arc of Deontay Johnson, the Steelers receiver last year. He had such a strong start early on. I had a, him on the watch list for my, I do my SOS awards for 2020. And I, I had him on my watch list for like the breakout star of the year award. I'm like, oh, this guy. Third-year player, kind of coming out of nowhere, doing great this year. But then he started dropping passes, and it became this really awful, really disappointing story where Deontay Johnson early on was awesome, and as the year went on, just drop and drop. I don't know if he got the yips. I don't know what happened, but Deontay Johnson went from an exciting young player to a guy that I, I just was very, very disappointed in later on in the year. With the, the amount of drops he had underneath on crossing routes was just unacceptable. And uh, I just want, I wanted to share that. I went like, ah, Deontay Johnson was such a heartwarming story early on who became really a frustrating and disappointing story later on as the year continued and, and they made it into the playoffs. Now let's talk about Baltimore. I got to say, I don't know how to feel about the Baltimore Ravens 2020 season. I, oddly enough, they went, they had a great year. Uh, they went 11 and five, but I actually walked away a bit disappointed now, I did predict them to go 12 and 4. They went 11 and 5. I guess technically that's less than I predicted, but I was pretty close. They had a pretty good year. Uh, they got revenge. They beat the Titans, remember, two years ago in 2019. Uh, the Titans knocked them out of the playoffs. So they got revenge. They beat Tennessee this year in Tennessee. They won a playoff game. Lamar Jackson won his very first playoff game. Like on paper, it's a great year for Baltimore. I go, like, oh, awesome. 11 and 5. You made the playoffs. You won a playoff game. But I, after that, I go, was it really a year of progress? Like, I mean, maybe winning a playoff game was a year of progress, but I felt like, and this will make people mad, I know that, but I would wonder if Ravens fans do agree to some degree with what I'm about to say. I walked away from the 2020 NFL season feeling like the Ravens passing game did not take the big step forward that it needed to take. I was like, I was so excited. Lamar Jackson won the NFL MVP two years ago. I was like, okay, this year in 2020, is going to get even better, which is a scary, terrifying thought. And it didn't happen. Lamar was good. Like, he's awesome, right? But it wasn't more efficient. Uh, you know, I think a little bit of that was Lamar's fault. I felt that at times Lamar was letting criticism get to his head where Lamar Jackson was trying to be Peyton Manning rather than just allowing himself to use his legs and be a running quarterback and run around. I mean, he's got this incredible skill set. There are times where I thought Lamar should have extended the play and ran around rather than just trying to be a pocket quarterback, forcing throws to guys who weren't necessarily open. Um, but I think most of the blame needs to fall on the offensive coordinator in Baltimore, Greg Roman. I want to see their scheme evolve. I want to see things grow and change. Uh, I'd like them to add another stud receiver, maybe to help out Hollywood Brown. Uh, the playoff game at Buffalo was very, very rough because Buffalo shut down the Ravens running game and they could not throw the ball when they needed to. Now, I understand the weather was awful. It was a messy game. Buffalo struggled to throw the football, too. I don't I don't want to just be really harsh to 
Baltimore because there were times where I don't know how anybody plays in that game. Uh, and, and then later, Lamar Jackson did get a concussion. So I understand anybody who's angry that I, I was frustrated with that uh, Bills-Ravens game, but I was. I went like, yeah, this is not this is not a step forward. I was kind of disappointed. Lamar had, stats are not everything, but he had fewer passing yards in 2020, had fewer passing touchdowns. Uh, and I want to see their offense continue to grow and evolve throwing the football. And it felt like they didn't. Now they had, they drafted a great running back, J.K. Dobbins. They had, uh, I was their running game was awesome. And they had Gus Edwards. Is it Gus Edwards? I hope I got his name right. I'm sorry if I didn't. They had some guys emerge at the running back position. Where I went, wow, okay. I get why they're running the ball a lot. But it felt like there wasn't enough evolution throwing the football in 2020 for Baltimore. And I, I just wonder if I'm alone there. Because I, if they're going to go from a team that's good and 11-5 and five and in the playoffs to a team that wins a Super Bowl, they got to throw the ball a little bit better. And by the way, Hollywood Brown did not blow me away this year either. He had a couple drops, and uh, I just Hollywood Brown was like, ah, he's good. Wasn't the I, I thought him and Lamar would be a dynamic duo, and they just weren't quite the amazing dynamic duo together I hoped they would be going into the year. Um, but I want to end this on a high note because I know I've been very negative, and I I kind of asked the question, like, am I the only person who was kind of, despite very obvious success with Baltimore, the Ravens had a great year, clearly. Am I the only person who walked away kind of going, huh, that's not enough. That's For me, that, like, ah, is there more out there? I, I felt like there was something lacking with the Ravens season, which I know is insane to say after winning a playoff game and going 11-5, but I, I just wanted more, I guess, and I, I was disappointed we didn't get more. But again, I want to share my favorite. Here's a high note. I want to share my favorite moment for the Ravens from the 2020 NFL season. Uh, it was week 14, Monday night football, Ravens against the Browns. Uh, look, so many of these AFC North games are fantastic, whether it's Browns, uh, Brown, Browns, Bengals or Bengals, uh, Steelers or Ravens, Browns, like these four teams just beat up on each other a ton. I love the AFC North. It's so competitive. It's so fun. They're tough, intense, great matchups. Um, but this was the game where uh, Lamar Jackson against the Cleveland Browns, Lamar literally waddled away off the field, down the tunnel. And uh, we all thought, like, I, I don't know about you, I watched that clip and thought, oh, Lamar's got to take a dump. Like, obviously. And, and we've been lied to before. PR is a thing that happens all the time. Again, we are lied to often by uh, public relations teams and people that are uh, representing players, and we, we get lied to a ton. So I think it's very possible Lamar Jackson did actually have to go number two, and it just nobody could admit that. They're like, that's too embarrassing, or that it's a bad look, so let's just deny it, deny it, deny it. Maybe it was cramps, maybe not. Uh, but it, what really happened, Lamar ran off the field in the fourth quarter of that game. We didn't see him for a long time. And uh, maybe it was even the end of the third quarter. There was some moment where I'm like, wow, it's been a we haven't seen Lamar Jackson in a long, long time. And as a result, it led to this crazy moment where on fourth and five, actually, I guess on third and five, the backup quarterback, Trace McSorley, for the Ravens got hurt. So it's fourth and five. Uh, it's the two-minute warning. And the Ravens need a first down. Like, they need something to happen. And like a knight in shining armor, like a superhero, outruns Lamar Jackson. It was such a, it was like a movie moment where, and I, I really felt exactly like a movie where, Two-minute warning, fourth and five. Lamar runs out like a superhero. And in that one play, fourth and five, Lamar kept the play alive, threw a long touchdown pass to take the lead. Uh, the Ravens won 47-42. Uh, 
Uh, he also ran for two touchdowns in this game. I just, the dude's a stud. I love watching him. But that moment against the Browns, uh, week 14. Oh, my goodness. That's my favorite Lamar Jackson moment, maybe ever. Other than, of course, him saying, not bad for a running back. That was great, too. Um, but that's my favorite Ravens, Ravens moment from 2020 was that the waddling off, the heroic return on fourth and five, Lamar Jackson throwing a crazy touchdown, winning the game 47-42. That's my favorite Ravens moment from 2020. Okay, uh, let's now shift gears to questions from the audience. It's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where I read questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. Uh, the dollar literally helps pay my rent. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. That's $12 a year. You get uh, the ability to submit questions to the show. Now, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee, I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. The first question of the day comes from Connor. Connor writes and says, I've been a, I've been on the Baker train since he was drafted. I guess this is really a comment. Connor says, I've been on the Baker train since he was drafted. I've always loved his passion for the game, and it was awesome to see him grow on and off the field this year. Cleveland was great, and I am so excited for their future. Totally agree. Uh, again, I, I think Baker, he's a two-time walk-on. He walked on at Texas Tech. He walked on at Oklahoma. To be a guy who's undersized and a walk-on, to become the number and overall pick, you have to have confidence. So Baker's story doesn't happen without him being confident in himself. I think people often mistake his confidence for arrogance. I don't know that he's—I'm sure he's—I would even say—I said earlier he wasn't cocky. I'm sure he's a little bit cocky, but I think mostly he's a good guy who loves his teammates, who wants to win, but— to be Baker, to be any quarterback, really, you have to be a guy with confidence, and Baker has that. I don't fault him for it. I don't think it's a—I think it's definitely overblown. Uh, he's He loves his teammates. He's not sullen like some people. I'm looking at you, Aaron Rodgers. He drives me nuts. The sullen stare Aaron Rodgers gives his teammates. You never see that from Baker. Um, he'll get fiery. He's passionate. He wants to win, uh, and I love that about Baker Mayfield. Dylan writes in and says, do you think that what, do you think that with what you saw from Joe Burrow— can he lead the Bengals? Oh, wow, this is a hard – I really should have fixed this grammatically. Do you think with what you saw from Joe Burrow leading the Bengals, could they be better contenders next year, possibly playoffs if their defense shapes up and they snag some key free agents? So can the Bengals become a playoff team? No, I do not think that. Uh, I saw a post. It was uh, the last time the Bengals won a playoff game was 1991. And the text message was – invented in 1992. What that means is that literally never has anybody ever sent a text message celebrating the Brown, the Bengals winning a playoff game. If I said the Browns, it meant the Bengals. Nobody has ever sent a text message celebrating the Bengals winning a playoff game ever. And the last time the Bengals won a playoff game, they beat the Houston Oilers in 1991. The Houston Oilers don't even exist! That's how dysfunctional Cincinnati is. You ever seen their indoor practice facility? I saw a picture of it today. It's, it's insanity. It's like a 20-foot by 20-foot, like, indoor. It's like a, it's like a room. It's like a, it's like a lobby, basically, with turf on it. You're like, oh, that's not a, that's not a, it's not an indoor. It's like a room with some turf. Literally, that's what it is. That's actually literally what it is. So, um, people don't understand how dysfunctional and how poorly run Cincinnati is. I think they are, they're better than Houston. Thank goodness for that. That's a very low bar to beat. Um, and uh, so I, I think 
maybe eventually. If anybody can do it, Joe Burrow can turn around the Cincinnati Bengals. But it's going to take a long time. It's definitely not going to happen next year, in my opinion. But I'd lo- I-, I like Cincinnati is one of my favorite places. It's my favorite place in middle America for sure. Uh, it might even be my favorite city in the lower 48. I, I love, love Cincinnati. And um, I- I- if, they win it- if they win a playoff game, I'd be so happy. I- I'm not a hater. I don't hate them. I just don't believe in their organization and their ownership. Braden writes in and says, do you think Pittsburgh can still run the table next year and get to the Super Bowl despite Big Ben's age and players like Juju and Alejandro Villanueva being free agents this offseason? Um, no, they need to be a defensive-led team. If if the Steelers are going to win a Super Bowl, they got to have, like, the Ravens 2000 defense. they got to be lights out, stopping the run, being fantastic. Maybe that J.J. Watt, that would help them. I've lost faith in Big Ben. Big Ben has lost a step physically. He clearly does not take care of his body the same way a guy like Tom Brady does, or even really the way Drew Brees does. If Drew Brees has petered out, how do you still have confidence in Big Ben? So uh, ooh, I think Drew Brees took better care of his body than Big Ben. So I have no faith in Big Ben. I don't think they can win a Super Bowl next year. Uh, they got to get an answer at quarterback because they, they're they very mediocre right now at the quarterback position in Pittsburgh. Drew writes in and says, I became a Browns fan when RG3 was brought on board. The factor of sadness finally ended this season, and I'm cautiously optimistic about our future. If the offseason goes well, we will have it. We'll uh, we'll have a chance to reign over the division for at least the next five years. So I forgot RG three was in Cleveland. Remember that he had a brief opportunity to be their starting quarterback, and I, I should I want to do an RG three film analysis someday. I'm so curious about his career. What happened? Was he never? Was he always overrated? I don't I don't know. It's like it's like I, I think if you watch Michigan. Um, Tom Brady at Michigan in college, you'd go, this guy should have been a number, a first-round pick. He looks great. I, if I go back and watch RG3, how good really was he? I don't know. I, I, I've never seen the film, so I, I, I mean, I've seen him play, but not the actual, the, the, the different camera angles, the film, watching the defenses. I'd love to watch film of RG3, maybe even do a film analysis someday. Um, the Browns absolutely, by the way, have a chance to take over their division. Big Ben is going to be out soon. The Bengals are rebuilding. Uh, the Ravens have not evolved on offense. This is the the AFC North is the Browns for the taking right now. Uh, I, I I really really would love to see the Browns dominate that division for a couple of years. It'd be very very cool. Uh, I would love that. Caleb Redson says, "Hey Zach, even though I am a Steelers fan, I do like cheering for the AFC North overall." The Browns and Ravens having young, excelling quarterbacks. Do you think there could be an elite rivalry between Mayfield and Jackson? Baker Mayfield, DeMar Jackson. Thanks for reading, and I hope all is well. I got to be honest, I'm personally more excited for the Battle of Ohio. The Bengals versus the Browns. Baker Mayfield against Joe Burrow. Uh, I think it's a better, more exciting uh, matchup. I loved that game week seven. Now, week 14, Baker versus Lamar was fun too, but... Baker against Lamar is just a different matchup because, frankly, Joe Burrow is a better thrower of the football. So Baker versus Joe Burrow is better passing, more exciting, more interesting, where Lamar is just, and part of it's their offense and their system, the, the Ravens are just not where I want them to be throwing the football. Uh, and, and, man, I, I got to tell you. So it's just a Browns-Ravens is a very different game than Browns-Bengals is. And uh, Lamar is just, again, Joe Burrow is a better thrower of the football than Lamar Jackson. TJ writes and says, I was really surprised the Steelers could not survive the full season. I had high hopes 
for players like Chase Claypool. Me too. Uh, early on, I really bought in. I was like, oh, man, Pittsburgh, they're 11-0. They're playing great football. They got breakout stars. Like, how do you, at one point, I was like, how do you stop Pittsburgh? Apparently, if they, if they drop everything and their defense gets hurt, that's how you stop them. So uh, I was disappointed that Pittsburgh fell apart, but that's part of the game is attrition. You got to stay healthy and dang, you got to catch a football. The drops were so bad in Pittsburgh as the year came to a close. Final question of the day, Joshua writes in, says, the AFC North, which, which offense is the best going forward? So which offense is the best in this division, the AFC North? So the Steelers have Big Ben. He's declining. Uh, the Ravens passing game is not where I want it to be. But again, Lamar Jackson is explosive. So they're always going to be in the conversation, Baltimore, just simply because Lamar can make a play out of nothing at any time. Uh, I, I'd go the Browns, though. The Browns have so many weapons. They got OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Harrison Bryant, Austin Hooper, Richard Higgins, maybe David Njoku. They got a great offensive line, not to mention Baker Mayfield, great head coach. Like, the Browns are, I don't know how you don't look at the Browns and say they are the best offense right now in the AFC North. They got Baker playing at a high level. The Browns are coming. They've got a lot of talent on offense, and, uh, yeah, point blank, the Browns are the best offense right now in the AFC North. That's a crazy thing to say, but it's very cool. Awesome. That makes me very happy and overjoyed to be able to say that. And uh, good for Cleveland. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you next Sunday. The next episode's almost done, by the way. I've been working on it. I've I got... I, I don't know. I'm excited. I'll see you very, very soon. I love you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.